You're listening to the B-Fox and B-Frank show. We are one week closer to the NCAA tournament, and as such, as has been tradition the last couple of years, the top 16 seeds at the time were revealed on Saturday. Um, I know you had some thoughts. What was your, I guess, initial reaction to the top 16 teams as the, the committee saw it on Saturday? I didn't... I think... They did a good job for the most part. I think where they run into some issues is when they started actually talking, which is not a good sign. Um, I don't remember who the hell the guy was, but the guy older than Dirt who was talking about, uh, you know, from the committee talking about what they had done, said something along the lines of quad ones are really the differentiator between the teams, and that's how we stack them up. And then you look at how they set the teams up and it clearly was not based on quadrant one wins because it just didn't make any sense if you looked at it any any way specifically so that was a little frustrating just because not only is it every year much like the college football playoff a moving target of what they the committee wants from these teams even when they try and explain it they can't even do so yeah i mean i just the timing of it never makes sense to me and i mean yes the the committee is very want to change kind of what they're looking at, whether it's for football or basketball. Seems to be a different discussion each and every year. But, I mean, this is always rendered pointless pretty instantly by the fact that this is happening while there are 100 games going on. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with, you know, maximizing exposure, ratings, what have you. But, I mean, pretty instantly after they went over this, um, you know, one of the four seeds, Michigan State, loses um, and presumably kicked out of the field. And, I mean, a lot of these teams lost within just a couple hours of these being revealed. And I don't have much of a solution unless you want to do this, like, after all the games for the week have been played. But, you know, then then that ends up being kind of something on a Sunday night. But it's a well-intentioned exercise, but it, you know, is – is a snapshot for that's good for about 20 minutes and then it's back into flux. Yeah. Um, it's a, like you said, I enjoy the fact that they do it because it kind of gets you people back in the mind, especially the casual college basketball fan who might be tuning in for that noon or 1 PM on the East coast, uh, game on CBS. And then it's like, all right. Yeah. The col- you know, the, Selection Sunday is five weeks away. These are the teams that I should be looking out for, this, that, the other. Um, interesting, though. I mean, Duke has lost at home to Stephen F. Austin, and they are the fifth overall team. Just something in a historically weak ACC, no less, which is just uh, interesting. Um, but yeah, my biggest, my biggest qualm was the Quadrant 1 wins because... There's a team in the group of three seeds that has more road quad one wins than three teams above them have total quad one wins. So if we're going to first off road wins should matter and especially if they're quad one wins. But I mean, if you're just going based on the number of quadrant one wins, why not just stack the teams up then? If you if you have two or three teams that are next to each other and in a debate, why are you not? And you say you're going by that. Why don't you just stack them up? Look, one team has eight, the other has five, the other has four. Why can't you put the eight on the top? All that said, my loosely veiled argument around Seton Hall and Florida State is that doesn't matter because Seton Hall is still going to not get an East region at this rate with Duke and Maryland above them, which is just bananas because it's going to be the best season in 30 years for the program and they're not even going to get MSG. A lot of basketball yeah. left, though. Definitely a lot of basketball left. I mean, I would... I would give Seton Hall a case over Maryland um, for, you know, top overall three seed. And obviously Who they've already by, beaten Fun by f- the end of the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Without their by two the best the weekends. I, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't want to live in a world where Mark Turgeon's team is better than Leonard Hamilton's. And I don't think that we do, but right. it's uh it's a little bit splitting hairs at this point. I don't think in terms of the actual seeds, there is really anything to, to get super upset about mm-hmm. um, as, Little little eyebrow raising, of course, for me, seeing the best team in the country given uh, the third overall one seed. But it's uh, really doesn't matter at this point again because um, there is a lot of basketball left to be played. Right. Um, and 
you know, a couple, couple of the four seeds are, are a little on the weaker side and have been struggling of late, but kind of the way college basketball is this year, there's not overly compelling cases you can make for too many teams to replace them. It's, it's going to be like, we're going to have four seeds that are probably pushing double digit losses this year. Right. And it's, it's not an enviable job to be the tournament committee this year. You know, there it's no. you're weeding through so many things, and again, if you just pick one thing and utilize it always, how does that not make your life easier? You know, if you just tell teams quadrant one opportunities are what's going to do it. We care about the win total, um, and if you do it on the road, that's extra. Why can't we do that? Or why can't we say your road record or neutral site record or any of those things or not losing games to quadrant four teams or quadrant three teams. Why can't we decide that that is the the benchmark and go from there? Because yeah, I get it like shuts out some smaller schools from getting those bigger opportunities. But at the same time, you're at least putting a measuring stick out there that everyone in the country can use. Yeah. Um, I hear you in a vacuum. Um, Right. But that, that also assumes that everything else is equal. On the other hand, if I can just straddle the fence here, if you're the committee and you're putting one thing out there as the most important thing, you should probably follow that yourself. Right. Um, so they're, they're kind of putting themselves into a corner and they're emphasizing quad one wins and then not following that themselves. Yep. Like There definitely should be some things you can pri- prioritize over others, but it's an impossible task to just you know, look at one factor and kind of use that as the only thing you're looking at. But again, when that's what you're preaching, it would make sense to at least follow that a little. So you can't be easily proven a hypocrite. Right. At the end of, like, at the, end of the day, it's a nice exercise. Like you said, it's, I don't know what it rates. Like, I can't imagine it's anything crazy, but no, I, yeah. it's nice for people to watch and like check in. And it, it's a good way to set the table for the last few weeks of the season. Yeah. Early Saturdays, you know, the time most people who are going to be thinking about college basketball are thinking about college basketball. Right. Um, it's it's a lot tougher than football when there's games happening every day of the week. But yeah, I still don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, most impressive teams this week. Kind of have to start with Seton Hall, so I will love it. See see the floor to you. I actually wasn't going to go with them with the number one overall most impressive. Just so I you mean, know. We don't we don't rank them here. It's just just so you know. Mind. First, okay. first team I put was Gonzaga. Well, that's the second team I put, but I figured you'd want to talk about Seton Hall first. And I figured you'd want to talk about the Zags, so I put them first. I'd Seton Hall second. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm freaking out because I don't know what to say about this team. Six and zero on the road in the Big East. Uh, eight and four in Quadrant One games. That's the second most in the country. They. Won at Villanova for the first time since I was four months old. Um, did it? Miles Powell picked up his fourth foul with nine minutes left in the second half. They weren't necessarily playing well. Um, Villanova wasn't either. It was pretty much a slug, slug it out, like grind it out, slow game. And uh, you know the, the role players came up big. Mamu's healthy, looks really good. Quincy McKnight got his head out of his ass later in the game. Jared Roden continues to be awesome. It's it's a team that knows their role and that's that's all they need to do. Like Powell will get his just depends on which way he's doing it. He has been absolutely atrocious from 3 since coming back from injury and in this game he hit like a 30-footer to set the all-time school record for most three-pointers. When he drives though, he is a completely different guy. Um just having a full healthy team is fun to watch finally. Other than that, three-game lead in the Big East, seven to play. This feels like Marquette last year, but I think we're a lot better than Marquette was last year. So I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. There's still a lot of big games left. I'd say, generally speaking, three-game lead is pretty unheard of in a major conference at this point in the season. Um, pretty much everybody is bunched together. It certainly helps this year that there's a little more parity than there normally would be, but even so, there's usually you know, two or three elite teams per conference that are going to be within a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously beating Villanova takes care of that and helps widen what could have been just a one-game lead. So, yeah, I mean, this is a team that looks every bit a national title contender. Mm, don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
that's a, that's not I'm not saying they're the favorite or anything, but no. I mean it's it's going to be hard to to really cut off the list of contenders like right you know maybe a given year you might only see like five or six but i mean i'll definitely extend to the three line and well beyond Mm -hmm. and that's assuming they don't move up any further which they very well might so yeah i mean everything coming up pirates right now yeah let's let's keep it that way we got a lot of basketball left a lot of basketball left there is a theme to today's show if you haven't picked up on it (laughs) um so best team in the country best offensive team in the country Gonzaga, um, wow, yeah, just like Loyola Marymount, fine, whatever, kind of ho hum. But St. Mary's game, especially on the road, is always the one that's circled in West Coast Conference play. Is one that Gonzaga might have trouble, and then they came out and reminded you why it is such a scary team when everyone's healthy. Hit fourteen of their first fifteen shots, ended up winning by thirty. Drew Timmy is really coming into his own off the bench. Not that they have any front court struggles to begin with, but I mean, he's not going to be a lottery pick this year, but it is somewhat like Zach Collins a couple years ago. Ultra talented freshman. You already have a stud front court, Petrusev and Tilly. So he's coming off the bench, still puts up 20 and 10 against the Gales. Um, did a lot of good spot work filling in for Tilly. Um, so he's got. A lot of experience at this point and I mean the the concern is always what it is just Gonzaga just almost gets bored a little lackadaisical there's not going to be a game really the rest of the season they're going to be more motivated than than playing at St. Mary's um, until the return trip but even then maybe not have like quite the same intensity but I mean there, there's there's not an offense in America that compares, and they honestly just have to be okay on defense to be just about anybody. This was a statement game. I mean, if winning earlier in the season by 50 and 30 in the same week wasn't a statement, this was certainly the statement that they've made. Um, Moraga is not an easy place to play. It's like a tiny, tight gym. Crowd's right on top of you. It's kind of reminiscent of... San Francisco, who I'd assume more casual fans have seen just because it seems like that Gonzaga-San Francisco game last year and again this year was pretty widely watched just because it w- they were tighter games. Um, I think the Timmy comparison to uh, Zach Collins is pretty apt because like, you can just see him develop throughout the season and continue to get better, and while he might play a few more minutes here and there than uh, Zach Collins did. You could just see the star power coming. Like you, you could feel it and see it as he came into the game. He's finding his rhythm, finding his own in the offense. And you just got to wonder, like, do they even need good guard play? Because they haven't, it hasn't been bad, but it hasn't necessarily been Gonzaga good. And they've just got so many ridiculously good and efficient big men now. Right, that was the question mark coming into the years. All new backcourt um gilder is i'd say been the better of the two and, and kispert has been doing good things on the wing not a true guard um, mm-hmm. but yeah it's just kind of all they need to do is hold up their end and not be the reason or not be a detriment to gonzaga as a whole because the front court is going to be better than anyone they're matching up against especially when you can go those three guys deep but yeah i mean it's it's pretty simple it's like being a uh a game manager in football, essentially. Yeah. That's that's what you're asking out of your guards. And, I mean, they've been up to that task. And they're, they've had a couple breakout games, but there's there hasn't been any disastrous performances. Like, as much as I love Josh Perkins, that's what the last game of his career was. So as long as they can avoid doing anything like that, mm-hmm. I mean, Gonzaga's going to be in great shape. Yeah, they, they look every bit... Final Four national title contender that we all expected them to be, um, or at least the two of us did, because we are some of the lone believers in the country, but they continue to look like they're getting better and scarier as the season goes on, and it's only going to be a matter of time before some casual fan is like, oh, this team, they play nobody. They're going to be, you know, they'll go up against whoever in the Sweet 16 and get crushed, and then, you know... 87 to 54 final score later they're like holy shit this team's actually good 
Yeah, still the nation's longest active streak of Sweet 16s. People forget that. They do. So that is all I will say about that before any of the, the Paul Feinbaum callers come out of the woodwork. <laughs> um, you have a shout-out to your boy, Chad Pambers, Penn State. Big week for Lamar Stevens. Yeah. Averaging uh, 28 and a half, seven rebounds, wins at Michigan State and over Minnesota, who's no slouch despite not the most impressive record. Um, yeah, the, the Big Ten is still crazy, but Penn State has justifiably played their way into the top 15. This this might be the only time I've ever made like a strong, strong dark horse pick. And this team, I can vividly recall saying, they're probably not going to win the Big Ten, but I think they're a dark horse to make the tournament. And now here we are. They're ranked 13th on February 10th. I, I mean, I probably outside of like Penn State fans or the program was the highest person on Penn State. And even I could not have imagined this. Like, yeah, I knew they had some really good players. I thought it was just going to be the Lamar Stevens show. Mike Watkins has been awesome. They've had really good guard play, and the bench has provided decent enough depth so that when they've had some foul trouble, they've been able to fight through it. But Penn State basketball, who'd have thunk? Biggest accomplishment of the year, really, is the fact that they sold out the Bryce Jordan Center for the Minnesota game. Yeah. Which I, I believe they said the first time since... 2011 it is the the thing about penn state that normally makes it a tough place to play is the fact that it's empty. it's about 40 percent full yeah, yeah. It, it's just all dark echoey you hear everything and it, it's just i mean generally pretty off-putting um a little disconcerting if you are an opposing player but yeah they uh they showed up they got loud um minnesota's only got a couple of good players. Oturu is just, if he had some help, Minnesota would be a great team. I mean, this is just Jordan been, Murphy again. If he had some yeah, help. I'd, I'd, argue, I'd argue even bigger numbers. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. He's even more dominating. But, yeah, I mean, any win in the Big Ten this year is a good one for the most part, um, especially winning at Breslin Center, despite Michigan State's recent struggles, which we'll get into. So, yeah, I, I mean, Penn State's much luck for the tournament at this point barring I'm, I'm struggling to think of what the rest of the season would have to look like for that to not be the case so perhaps premature congratulations to to chat pambers for trying finally getting off the schneid and getting into the tournament first one at penn state <laughs> at 10 years later got yep. trust the process that's all it is trust is not a jinx <laughs> yeah i mean that's it also helps to be at a place like Penn State where there are zero expectations. So you can get that long of a leash. Right. Um, and, you know, some NIT appearances are, are enough to appease the fan base for a little while. But, yeah, this is, I'd say, much better than anyone outside of you could have expected. Right. So, right. There's that. I will throw another Big Ten team up there. And it's going to be Maryland beating Rutger and then uh, win. At Illinois, that was a heck of a game for a number of reasons, the Illinois game. Maryland is just such an awful first-half team. So unbelievably bad. And they somehow go on a run at the end of the first half. I mean, it was, I think it was like 35-17, to 17, Illinois was up. And they go on a 23-5 to 5 run to close out the half and make it a two-point game. And then the defense, the, the defense clamps down, and Illinois scores one basket over the first 11 minutes of the second half. But Pens- er, but Maryland, excuse me, still has not pushed this game out of reach. They need a couple of late buckets from Cowan and company to uh, close it out. But it was a fun game. I mean, Illinois is just a tough matchup for just about anyone. They're still a little young, I think, uh, to be winning these types of games. And Maryland's got the makeup and the older roster and, and the experience level that, that goes into it and in winning these types of games. All that said, I'm still not convinced Maryland's a good basketball team, just from what I've seen. But they continue to win, and they continue to do so in tough environments. So at this point, all I have is like one previous game to go off of for me to say I don't think Maryland's a good basketball team. They're a bad first-half team with, of course, the one notable exception of Assembly Hall. Yes. Because fuck me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it... This especially hurts if you're Illinois because this is Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah. You have a big lead on Maryland. In their place, they come back, 
fine. It's on the road, you know, hostile environment. These things happen. You go out to a huge lead at home, find a way to blow that too. That really bites because, you know, this would be either one of them would have been excellent wins over. I believe uh, Maryland was top five when they played in college park. Um, So either way, it would have been a, a great win over a top 10 team. Kind of one of the things that happens with a, with young teams, as we've talked about, kind of lacking that, that killer instinct, knowing exactly how and when to put teams away. Um, right. Maryland's outside of Cowan, not much older, but they do have a little more experience. So I guess that can be the difference sometimes. But again, like we talked about last week, Cowan is playing better of late, asserting himself as this team's leader. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... It it is it is a weird thing because I think pretty much all of us just seeing Maryland's success, they're skating by some of these games, just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and for Mark Turgeon to turn back into a pumpkin and you know for things to go back as we expect and maybe it might not until the tournament when they lose to a 14 seed in the first round or something, which would be great fun for us all, but. Yeah, that that's kind of the it's it's weird evaluating Maryland right now. Yeah, and I, just to touch on Illinois briefly, um, I feel like the biggest issue in this game is Kofi Coburn is like their security blanket when they can't get things going offensively. They expect him to either come up with like a big stop on defense or just dump it down into him and for him to bully the opposing big man. But when Jalen Smith's in, you can't really do that. I mean, he he obviously didn't play totally, you know, invisible basketball, but he certainly struggled a bit with the lengthy Smith. Um, And when they don't have that security blanket, the offense can get ugly for Illinois, and it can get ugly very quickly. Um, And it almost suits Maryland's style to just get into an ugly, disgusting basketball game where they're just going to end up hitting a couple more shots at the end and winning it. And that's, that's what it felt like here. Yeah, and I have unfortunate news for Kofi Coburn. Every tournament hopeful in the Big Ten has a good big man. So they're only going to get – the matchups are only going to get tougher from here on out. Like, it's literally just northwestern Nebraska where you're going to be able to be a man amongst boys. Um, Obviously, Jalen Smith is one of the best, but if you go down the list in in the conference, you've got guys like Luca Garza contending for National Player of the Year. Jalen Smith, of course, Oturu, um, among others. So, yeah, he, he's going to have to step his game up. And obviously through the tournament where the competition is only going to increase there, um, he and Dosumu have been excellent to get Illinois as far as they have so far, um, contending for a Big Ten title, which really nobody saw before the start of the year as happening, mm-hmm. um, considering how Illinois had played the first couple of years under Brad Underwood. But... Yeah, they, they've gotten this far. People are taking them seriously now. It's it's time to take that next step. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all I've got on both of those teams. But Maryland keeps winning. It is surprising to all of us, but they keep yeah. winning. Uh, also had Marquette on there. Yeah. Just quietly hanging around outside for a second in that cluster three games behind Seton Hall. Um, still very good at home and, you know, Took it to Butler, who's having their own struggles, but still a top 20 win at home, and Marcus Howard and co. looks pretty good doing it. Yeah, the uh, the biggest thing, I think, about this game as opposed to the others is Marcus Howard was struggling, and he didn't force it normally. Him and Paul have the same issue. They both try and force it quite a bit, and whether that's taking deep shots or just aimlessly driving or dribbling until you get open... Both of them are starting to relax a little and let the game, like, trust their teammates. I think Marquette is actually a decent team around Marcus Howard. I like Kobe McEwen. I like Sakar Annam. I think Theo John, if he stays out of foul, I've said this so many times, but if he doesn't pick up stupid fouls, <laughs> I mean, he's one of the best big men in the in the conference. Um, and even Jace Johnson, the transfer from Utah, has come into his own a bit and has been providing some, some good minutes off, off the bench. Um they shoot lights out from three, and that's without the Hauser brothers too. So, like, they they have all the the pieces they need. They just need to lock in defensively and continue to uh, play team basketball and not try and get Marcus Howard forty five points a game. 
those are all good things but yeah you just remind me at the same time it's like we're doing this well but things could be even better yeah if second and third best players didn't both leave maybe no they, they would be you a would, lot you better would think, you would think um and maybe only two games behind seat and all mm-hmm. uh also threw houston on there good bounce back week um beat two lane and then just hammered a quickly fading wichita state team by 33 having Giroux back from his one game biting suspension certainly helped but you know quinn grimes and the rest of the cougars are are rolling at this point yeah they are they're a scary team in the american and it's a league where no one really knows what they're t- like. None of the top teams are winning outside of Houston. I mean, Cincinnati picks up a huge win late at Wichita and then goes on to lose uh, to UConn. Yeah. And then Memphis loses to South Florida at home. And I mean, we've talked about Wichita State struggles. Tulsa loses a pair. I mean, everyone near the top of the standings is losing outside of Houston. And so. It's their league at this point. It's their league for the taking. Yeah, it, Cincinnati's been the closest. They've been on a hot streak until you know the the close loss to UConn on Sunday. Memphis is completely dead. Tulsa, I think they're dead. Y- UConn also has their number, so yeah. that's not great. Yeah, <laughs> um, heck of a week I for mean, UConn. We really, yeah, really, we didn't think Tulsa was that good to begin with. Um, we're a little no. surprised with how they started in the American. Now they're kind of come back to earth wichita is just falling off a cliff so yeah it's it was a little jumbled earlier in the season we're trying to figure out you know exactly i mean for lack of a better term who is good yeah in this league and it's it's pretty clearly houston and maybe one or two other teams right who those two other teams are we don't know yet because they haven't brought it out but yeah the league is quickly fading from you know three bids maybe to I would argue at this point two on the verge of one yeah I think it could still max out at four yeah um like Houston is pretty close to a lock at this point and then any of the three of Cincinnati Wichita and Memphis if any of them play like they would like to be in the tournament Mm -hmm. that would certainly help right uh the I hate to do it to you but I Purdue um I put Purdue question mark. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna bring him up unless you did. So I did. Uh, Sixty-one first half points against Iowa. One hundred and four in the game. Absolutely dominating the Hawkeyes again. Purdue is just a different team at Mackey, and then Indiana. So when you lose to them away from Mackey, that's that's pretty embarrassing. I would say. Yes. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Um, that I. I didn't. I did not see. I. I will be honest. I did not see a single minute of the Indiana game, so I can't. Uh, that was for your benefit. I can't explain what happened, but nice little week for Purdue, especially. You know, they. There were some questions about can they win away from home? Are they like they? They're struggling offensively. Can they get it back going? Is this really a tournament team? I think they answered all the questions there. It's now can they consistently do it? Play against you know the middle to the top of the Big Ten and keep winning games. I mean, they really can't win away from home. Like, their their first home venture in the Big Ten, they got hammered by a bad Nebraska team. Mm-hmm. Their only Big Ten road win coming into Saturday was uh, come from behind win at Northwestern, the other bottom feeder along with Nebraska in the conference. Right. So when Assembly Hall becomes the place where teams are doing – the one thing they never do is you just talked about Maryland getting off to a fast start in the first half and now Purdue winning a road game. And really despite like, except for maybe a a three minute stretch in the second half, not really being challenged. That's, that's not a good sign. And part of me is happy because Indiana is trending to miss the tournament. And that means Archie will be gone and I can go on with my life um, (laughs) having wasted three years from it. But like, it's it's the same thing every game for Indiana. Um, like Archie has really not changed anything in his game plan from the start of the year to now. It's just rolling out the ball, doing the exact same thing, and for some reason expecting things to go differently, which is literally the definition of insanity. Yes. So 
yeah, the guard play was not good, and that's that's usually when Indiana loses this year. Purdue got the better of that matchup for sure. Um, Jackson Davis can only do so much, and he did for a lot of the game before started to get out of hands. And I mean, it's just it would it would be nice if anyone on this team could hit a jump shot as that kind of where I'm at. And like, I don't, it, I don't trust that anyone in the current coaching staff can teach that, like make that happen. Mm. Yeah. Regardless of the, the guys who are coming in who are supposedly good shooters from high school. It's like the bears with quarterbacks. Like, oh no. They're, they're going to <laughs> like money. Like if Pat Mahomes went to the bears, he would, he would not be a good quarterback. And if, you know, Anthony Leal or any of these guys coming in, lighting it up in high school, like they're going to find a way to shoot 30% from deep. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. In front of Bobby Knight, no less too. Yeah. Don't give a shit about that. <laughs> like I don't, that that's the other thing. And like Archie didn't let, he almost poked team... out Dick Vitale's good eye. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was the other worst part of watching the game is it was just Dickie, Dickie B, B the whole time, like just railing for, for Bob Knight and just conveniently leaving out all of the reasons why he sucked. Right. Except for like a gratuitous 30 second thing where Bob was using was like, well, we should probably remind the people, you know, <laughs> why, why he got fired in the first place. Um, but like he, he's a, he's been an unrepentant, like bitter old man for the better part of 20 years. Um, like basically exiled himself. Um, there were multiple attempts from, you know, previous administrations, Fred glass for a while to bring him back because nostalgia is a thing. And yeah. there are so many boomers who are Indiana basketball fans that will like, I mean, Kyle Robbins over at Crimson Quarry is a saint because he was he was fighting the good fight, railing against Bob Knight, and would have just an army of sixty and seven year olds trying to fight him in the mansions because you know <laughs> n- nostalgia nostalgia is a powerful thing. You, it you is. remember you remember all the winning. You look at Indiana right now; they're not winning, so you want that back, and you just kind of push aside all the you know player abuse, general shittiness that was and is Bob Knight as a person. Um, just give Bob Knight a gap here between Archie and the next coach. Let him come back one last ride. No, right the wrong. Uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, and then yeah, of course, Sticky B is saying should build a statue or name the court. Court's always already named for Branch McCracken, who was not a giant like racist and piece of shit who also won national titles for Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was it was good closure for a lot of the old Indiana fans. So, like, that's fine. That was positive. Looked like it was healing for him and former players who looked like they were happy to, to have him back. But I am looking forward to going back to, like, the entire fan base, never talking about this again. Yeah, I think – I mean, this, this is just something that needed to be done. If not for – any other reason than to end the whole conversation of why isn't Bob Knight back and in the, like, why isn't he welcome back or why doesn't he come back? You know, just, just get that all out there. Let everyone, you know, see him at a game and then call it a day. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause he's stubborn. That's right. That's right. literally why. <laughs> so, and I'm, and I'm sure if, if he had been asked or allowed to speak, you probably would have said like, I still regret nothing. I'd, I've done nothing oh, yeah. wrong. Um, so I'm glad they didn't. Glad that was smart. Stuck a, I'm, I'm glad nobody stuck a microphone in his face and like had him address the crowd, other than yelling out defense, that which is. was weird. It was such an old, it was such an old man move. But yeah, Purdue was the uh, team I had originally mentioned, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Xavier's the last team I'm going to mention. They've won three straight. Uh, they're they're starting to come back to life here in February, trending in the right direction. Uh, you know, a couple more wins. They're they're very much a uh, dangerous team. You don't want to see in the tournament. Out of all the teams we have left for dead at various points this year, they are, I'd say, currently the least dead. Yes, they are slowly coming back to life. And yeah, I mean, Big East has 
five ranked teams at this point, I believe. Yeah. I think Xavier's the the one non ranked team that, that has a, a pretty good shot at this point of making the tournament. Georgetown's alive, they're on the cusp, they keep like winning a game to stay alive, despite yeah. only having like three healthy players. But yeah, I mean the Big East, especially at this point, it'll it'll really, really start to matter who your wins are coming against. Right. Like is it is it over ranked team or are you beating up on St. John's and DePaul? So mm-hmm. it'll be something to keep an eye on. But yeah, Xavier is is not dead yet, despite previous reports. No, uh, things are trending <laughs> up for for the Big East as a whole. They are. If you if you have noticed a theme, that's all I had for most impressive. Same. Um, I wanted to start off least impressive with LSU. Yes. First, taking a note from. The football team and refusing to play defense against Vanderbilt, which was nice little call great, back there. A great tip of the cap. Um, gave up 99 points to Vanderbilt. LSU was undefeated. Vanderbilt was winless in SEC play. Then they went and gave up 99 points to them. Even so, could have salvaged the week. Um, big opportunity playing at Auburn. Had a 14 point second half lead. Things were looking good. And and probably managed to blow that game at one point. Gave up three three pointers in about twenty seconds. Um, still had a chance to win in overtime. Took a late lead there, but gave up the game winner with point one seconds left. Um, there were as we talked about. Nobody expected LSU to go undefeated in SEC play for as long as they did. But this seems like an especially cruel overcorrection. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Vanderbilt's unexcusable, no matter yeah. what. No matter yeah. what. Auburn, you understand to an extent in that it's a tough road environment, but then when you see 14-point lead, you got to wonder, how is this even possible? Then you look and see that they had a one-point lead off of, frankly, just an insane play in uh, overtime with 10 seconds left to uh, to get the lead there, and then Javon McCormick hits the floater in the lane, and it's, I mean... It, it was crazy to say the least. And I, LSU, if you're LSU, you just have to completely forget this week ever happened and just go back, try and play the same game you've been playing. Yeah, I mean, you can if you if the headline is just LSU lost on the road at Auburn, be like, okay, right, that, that makes sense. But the manner in which they did is what will have Will Wade kind of searching for some eternal sunshine of the spotless mind shit. Um, Even so, they had get... a lot of good to take from that game. Yes, but you know, that's that's hard to focus right. on when the the negative is so overwhelming. It's just right. human nature. Um, yeah, that's poor LSU. That's a that's a tough week. Yes, that's I, the the Vanderbilt part still still defies logic. But really. Looking at the Auburn game, I'd say that's kind of the overarching theme of college basketball this season. Absolutely no lead is safe. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're we're talking about blown twenty point leads every week on this show, or you know, double digit leads in the last two or three minutes. It is ridiculous. It is always the team ahead is always the one I bet on. With <laughs> without fail. Like that's I don't even think that's anecdotal evidence at this point. <laughs> I think that is just true across the board. Fortunately, you know, sometimes it's stuff like LSU five and a half plus five and a half. So they end up covering UNC this week. Another great example, but mm-hmm. it's just Northwestern. It is a lot. Yeah, yeah. But on Northwestern, that's that one three games the, in two days plus eleven. I mean, they all covered. That's they did. That's the part that never happens. It's like. Stanford blowing a massive lead to USC or yeah, just good times all around, but this isn't about me. This is about college basketball. <laughs> and, that, and that, that is, that has been the case this year. I feel like and, yeah. and part of that is because there are tr- no true dominant teams. So like a game is not over until it's over, but it's a, it's a little ridiculous. Like I, I can't really remember it a year where there's been this many massive comebacks. Right. And games you typically turn off. You're like, ah, I'm going to sit around for a few more minutes, see if anything crazy happens here. And it usually does. Um, Yeah. I I don't know. 
I would like to see the free throw numbers across the nation, see if that's down a little bit. It feels like it's down. I mean, maybe maybe that's just because the the recent games we've been watching, like let's say North Carolina, missing you know 16 or 17 free throws against Duke cost them that game. Feels like there are plenty of teams that are shooting just horrifically from the line and, and getting destroyed for it. Yeah, it certainly hasn't been good. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's one of the knocks on – on college basketball by NBA only people is that right the quality of play is lower, which no shit. But you got three hundred fifty three yeah, teams made up of twelve uh, eighteen to twenty two year olds. Do you expect it to be NBA level? Come on, no, it's just more entertaining, right? Um, that's yeah. So that that's that's naturally going to happen. But yeah, you've crazy things like Auburn hitting all of its threes or yeah. Everything going exactly Trey Jones' way for Duke. Goodness, like so much had to happen in those games, and of course, all of it did. did. Sorry if you're an LSU or UNC fan listening, but sucks to be you. Yeah, Um, I had like three categories of teams in least impressive. Basically, it was the Blue Bloods, um, bubble teams, and then just a couple stragglers, like surprise uh, conference. Surprise power conference teams that are doing well. So LSU and Iowa, I put in the same category of those two. Okay. So Iowa just getting the doors blown off them at Purdue, which we already talked about. Yeah. Um, Blue Bloods, I would say North Carolina, Michigan State, and I'm going to throw Villanova in there as well. I think the last decade has earned Villanova that title. More so than UCLA, especially. So if we want to if we want to argue that, we'll do that at a different point. But Well... I would, yeah, I mean, I was going to say the team that lost to UCLA could potentially be in that, that blue blood. Arizona as well, arena. yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- I mean, Michigan State loses two. Uh, Penn State and Michigan, Villanova, Butler, and Seton Hall. I mean, those aren't bad losses. Michigan's, Michigan and Penn State aren't necessarily bad losses. North Carolina loses to Florida State and Duke. Again, not bad losses. It's just the way they lost. What's been going on with this season? It is... Part of a bigger problem that needs to be solved by these teams that just hasn't. Arizona got... I, I don't get Arizona. I've watched maybe 15 of their games. I do not understand them whatsoever. And they've been so good at home, too. Right. Like, a lot of teams in college basketball, that's that's the bad part for you know Michigan State losing to Penn State. You have to protect home court, especially when Big Ten, that has been the way the conference has gone. Yeah. And I mean, although you're playing on the road at Michigan, that is still 12th place team in the conference. That is still a rivalry game. You'd expect a little more urgency there. Um, and they're they're looking pretty listless, which in a way is a Tom is a specialty. Like mm-hmm. there's always the the downswing in late January, early February before you know they they ramp it back up and peak at the right time in March, but. For all the talent on this roster, for how good they were expected to be and should be, this is uh, pretty brutal right now. It's not good. That's for that's for sure. And uh, again, they're not bad losses, but they're games that they should be more competitive in, in the least. Yeah, you can you can say something nice about all of the opponents. This is kind of uh, it's like Purdue last year in the non-conference. He kept kind of excusing every loss because they're playing against a good team. Like, that's fine. But eventually, if you want to consider yourself a good team, right. you're going to have to start winning some of these games. There's going to be 11 other good teams in the Big Ten. You're going to have to win some of those games. Right. Um, this is this is a team that I don't think anybody expected would lose, you know, eight or more games for the entire season. They're already, you know, going to be past that number. So got to be a little urgency somewhere yeah um, I mean Cassius Winston is has had his good games he's had his bad games but he's he's the one who's going to have to take Michigan State to where they have to be he's gonna have to get some help yeah it, it's it's just time for someone to step up honestly and that guy it feels like it's got to be Cassius Winston like you just said yeah um I'll throw out some of the bubble teams as well that I had uh Arkansas Stanford, Florida, and Texas. The first two on the list, blown leads. Yep. Yeah. Arkansas loses to Auburn. Again, not a bad loss. Then they lose to Missouri. That's a bad loss. 
Yeah. Um, Stanford loses to Utah, which is a bad loss. And they lose to Colorado after a pretty scary act, uh, injury to their best player as well. Uh, good to hear to Silva. It's good to see that he's healthy again. Or, or not healthy, but he's he's okay after that. It was just stitches that he needed. Um, but yeah, really nervy incident there. And it's tough to play, like, you know, it's tough for teammates to play after, you know, one, presumably one of their friends or one of their best friends gets hurt, let alone in that fashion where bleeding from the mm-hmm. head and, you know, needs to get quickly moved off the floor. Even the opposition, even Colorado players were a little shaken up by it. I mean, visibly upset. So yeah, to win that game is almost impossible. It's already a tough place to play and against a good team. Can't really fault them for it, but at the same, like, the game still counts. You know, they lose two, and now they've got some work to do. Yeah, and they were, you said, already on the bubble before, despite what was overall a very positive start within the Pac-12 and now kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah. Unfortunate circumstances in which it happens, but the reality is it it still counts as a loss just the same. Right, right. Um, Florida loses to Ole Miss. Ole Miss has had a really disappointing season. I don't think they're necessarily a bad team, but this isn't. This is a bad loss. Still, they're just slightly over five hundred. They're not a great team, um, despite the talent. Uh, and then Texas. This is just a game you got to have. I mean, th- this feels like their bubble has burst. They have Texas Tech at home on the ropes, and they cannot close. Texas Tech is a good team. That would have been a qu- high quality win. That would have definitely moved the needle a little bit, and probably put some confidence behind this team that's struggled throughout the year. But now you're basically asking for a win over Kansas or Baylor to keep your season alive. Neither of which I see happening. Yeah. I mean, shock has got to be pretty close to on his way out. Yeah. Um, I don't have to tell you, I bet Texas in this game. Of course they, they did not cover by a point. <laughs> Thought that was safe. Changed the channel a while ago. And then, Getting back to Florida Ole Miss, like if we're talking about disappointing teams in the SEC, Florida conversation has to start with Florida. Yeah, this is this team has way too much talent to be struggling with, you know, this year's SEC, which overall has not been a very good conference, especially to the level that the conference has ascended the last few seasons. Um, and that's that's disappointing because, you know, I, I would like to see carry Blackshear in the tournament and leading his team on the run, but it really does not look likely at all at this point. Yeah, honestly, preseason, or early in the season, you asked me if Scott Drew was a good coach, and after I said Baylor's a good team, I struggled to say... You, I mean, you still waffled, yes. I, I still do. Um, I think I would have pretty quickly, if you had asked the question about Mike White, I think I pretty quickly would have said, yes, he's a good coach. And now I am starting to waver on that. Teams underachieve, for sure, with with quality talent, but to this level is concerning. I don't know that I would have immediately said yes with Mike White. Um, Obviously, right now, it looks like the answer is a pretty clear no, but he's he's had some good teams at Florida, but... Trying to think of the best way to put this. They've never, yeah, they, they've never seemed to be like the results of his coaching or yeah. like one of the biggest factors behind their success. Um, it win more games than your average team, but you know it's more just Mike White is kind of there rather than you know Billy Donovan when he was at Florida. You can right. clearly see him as the architect of those teams, really imprinting the way he wanted to play and. You know, his teams more often than not ended up dominating. Um, don't have that with Mike White. Obviously, a lot of new pieces, transfers, freshmen that you're putting into prominent positions. But there are a lot of good coaches out there year after year who make stuff like that work. And, mm-hmm. you know, Florida wants to be a player in the SEC every single year. They would have a lot of moving parts coming in every single year as good players depart. But right. Yeah, they uh, they're just they're just an absolute mess, and that's pretty disappointing. The whole, I mean, the whole middle of the SEC right now is an absolute mess. It's not to the level of the Pac-12, but it's bad. Yeah, I mean, if you ever get in the same conversation as a Pac-12 as a, you know, as not the West Coast Conference, 
Well, as a yeah, fellow the, Power Six team, then I, you're in trouble. I am quickly turning my mind to the West Coast Conference is going to get more bids than the Pac-12. Like, I'm moving there pretty quickly. I, I still think same is best case scenario, but yeah, I would I would lose my shit if more somehow happens. It's unlike it, it, I I guess this is what I'll say. I, I took it from a very small chance to a realistic opportunity. <laughs> like okay. there there has been a considerable move. It's not anything, you know, crazy where I'm gonna guarantee it, but it's one of those things where I would not be surprised if it happened. There's been a material change for exactly, sure. Exactly. The needle has moved. Yeah. We are uh, 30 seconds to midnight if we're, we're talking doomsday clock. What a doomsday it would be. Yeah. Those were all the least impressive teams I had. I, I threw a ton out there real quick, but they were uh, in those like three little buckets, so I figured that was the best way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly had all the same except for some of those bubble teams. Um, I did read Indiana on there, and just who cares? So that's they that's go in the, the only, bucket of the bubble teams. It's the only further analysis I'll provide. Um, on the way out, don't don't let the door hit you. Oh man. Um, yeah. So good times. I mean, still a better week than Arizona again because yep. if you, if you forget, um, so you mentioned they lost at home to UCLA. The coach of UCLA is actually Mick Cronin. Nicholas Cronin. So. That's uh, UCLA's been getting some good wins after spotting basically all of their opponents' wins for the first couple months of the season. Yeah, um, just a just a classic move after a failed season. Um, getting some good wins the last month or so of the season. Get yourself some quote unquote momentum going into next year, even though a lot of your roster is going to be different. That doesn't matter. Still, still some talking points you can provide. Don't worry, I see Shaka as the head man at UCLA next year still anyways. so Could happen. One way or another, Mick Cronin will not be the head coach in Westwood next season. That is my, that is my proclamation. Still be, still be shocked if they give him the boot after one year. Like Some, yeah. some especially heinous off-the-court stuff would have to come out. True. Um, yeah, that is, that is all I had as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Good things are happening for, for Seton Hall and Gonzaga, so let's keep focusing on that. Yep. Uh, another big week of college basketball coming up, and we will be back next week to break it down for you.